Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. On today's show, we get ready for the 2019 legislative session that begins Monday. We'll hear from a newly elected state official, a political veteran, and a local leader about what they want state lawmakers to do this year. I, Katherine Hoffman, do solemnly swear Earlier this week, Kathy Hoffman was on the steps of the state capitol being sworn in as the superintendent of public instruction, but she didn't always dream of becoming a politician. Two years ago, Hoffman was working in Phoenix area public schools, watching the confirmation hearings for U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos. That's when she decided to run for office. Hoffman is a Democrat. Her election to the top education post in the state was helped by the Red for Ed movement. As Arizona's superintendent of public instruction, Hoffman says one of her first priorities is to build morale within the Department of Education. First and foremost, it is important to me to be a very positive, pro-public education voice for our schools. I truly believe that when we invest in public education, it's an investment in our state and especially in the future of our state. And so that will be one of my priorities is to continue traveling the state, visiting schools, learning and understanding the needs of each individual community to see how I can best serve our schools. And I will be aiming to build morale within the Department of Education and restoring it to be an agency of service because it's important for schools to be able to reach out, well, schools and parents to reach out to the department when they have questions and to have, have reliable answers. What are some of the things that, that need to change that parents may notice in their children's classrooms or on a larger scale with the department? I think the thing that parents notice first is the large classroom sizes. They notice there's a lot of kids in their kids' class, and that concerns them because they want to make sure that their child is getting appropriate attention and the appropriate instruction. Uh, Unfortunately, we do have a teacher shortage in Arizona, and that is related to the underfunding of our public schools over the past decade, that we've had more cuts to public education than any other state in the country. These are all related issues, and so I see one of our greatest challenges is the teacher shortage, that we have a revolving door of teachers, that many of them don't stay in the profession for more than a couple years, but what parents see is big classroom sizes, and it's unfortunately related to the issue of not having enough funds to, to properly staff our schools. University of Arizona has a College of Education. How do you convince 18-year-old men and women to go there and not go over to the management school or law school or, or, or somewhere else? That's a good question. Yesterday, I was visiting a high school, and I asked the students in in one classroom, how many of you are interested in becoming teachers someday? And no one raised their hand, and that was really sad and devastating because as an educator, I felt that it's one of the best careers out there, that it's very rewarding to work with kids and, and to serve the needs of children of all backgrounds. And so what I aim to do as superintendent is... One way to address that is, again, by being 
a positive voice for education to talk about all the benefits of being an educator in a way that will attract more teachers to the profession. And I also aim to be looking at issues like teacher workload. And one thing I'm going to be fighting for legislatively also is having paid maternity and paternity leave for our teachers because, you know, many of our teachers are young parents. And if we can support them when they're starting their families, then that will help keep them in the profession and also attract new young people to the profession because that can make our schools more competitive with the private sector. How long would you like to see maternity and paternity leave for for teachers? Well, right now, teachers are typically covered under FMLA where they have 60 days of unpaid leave. So I would like to see that 60 days paid. And I, I'm not sure yet we're going to be creating committees and, and task forces to address these issues to see it's possible there's an, a creative way to fund this, that maybe there could be some private sector funds or perhaps insurance companies can offer some extra supports for teachers so that they can have that coverage. But I, I do think it's important that they have pay because we, teachers are already underpaid in comparison to other professions of people with their with their degrees with both their undergraduate and graduate degrees and to have 60 days unpaid and then a newborn child at home I I can't understand it as as someone who cares about taking care of our young moms and our our children our our babies and so that's why I want to make sure that they have those supports Education and money seem to go together. You mentioned teacher retention, teacher recruitment, uh, better funding in public schools in general uh, plays into that. The budget's tight. Do you have any thoughts on where we can get some of that money to, to bring back into education? This is a conversation that I've already started with Governor Ducey and his office. They also understand that there is a need for a more sustainable revenue source for education. I think we are just at the beginning of that conversation to see because we ultimately would need the support of his office and himself to sign off on any increases in school funding. And so I look forward to continuing those conversations and making sure that he understands the need for additional funding for our schools. We're talking with Kathy Hoffman, the superintendent of public instruction for Arizona. Everybody wants to improve education. It's a bipartisan issue in in that way. Is there something beyond funding that Arizona needs to do to improve education, or is it really just a money question at the end of the day? Another way we can improve our education system is by improving our data systems within the Department of Education. That's one area that doesn't get a lot of publicity, but the way it stands right now, we haven't had very good reliable or even accessible data. And that's very important because across the state, we have lots of programs that are designed to target whether it's Let's say they're targeting graduation rates or they're targeting college readiness and success. But if we're not providing these uh, stakeholders and organizations with the data so that they can examine and do an analysis of whether or not these programs are working, then that's holding us back, too. We need to have uh, thorough, accurate, reliable data in order to measure the success of our programs. And then those programs can be models for programs in other parts of the state. Same with teacher retention, as you mentioned before. Is that just a money issue, or is there something, a larger issue that needs to be dealt with? 
we do need to expand professional development for our teachers because we want to make sure that they feel supported, that they have strong school culture. I give the example of when I worked in the Vail School District, I could have left and worked for TUSD and made $10,000 more, but I stayed at my school in the Vail School District for three years because I felt a very strong sense of community. I felt very valued as a teacher. I, I had lots of resources and supports and professional development. And so there, there's definitely a component of when you support your teachers and they feel successful and they have the resources that they need, then teachers will tend to, to do what they can to stay in that job. The Red for Ed movement, tens of thousands of teachers showed up at the Capitol last spring. Where does that momentum go now? What what do you think the Red for Ed movement is moving towards now that the pay raise came through? I hope that those teachers stay connected to what's happening in, in every legislative session. I hope that they continue to connect with their legislators, contact the governor's office, and also keep connected with me as as the leader of our Department of Education. I want to hear from teachers and educators about what we can be what we can be working on to keep moving in the right direction. And so my biggest ask for the Red for Ed supporters, teachers, parents, and community members is to stay engaged, to keep 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 an eye on what's happening in our schools because we still have a long way to go in Arizona. We haven't even talked about early education, full day kindergarten, music, science, art, technology, all these amazing parts of the school that have been diminished because of a lack of resources. Uh, also the social emotional care of our, both our students and our teachers. So there's there's so many other areas of improvement that are needed. And so I would ask that teachers and the Red for Ed supporters stay engaged. All right. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for having me. That was Kathy Hoffman, Arizona's newly inaugurated Superintendent of Public Instruction. This week, we're gearing up for the 2019 legislative session. When state lawmakers enter the chamber on Monday, there will be some new faces. One of the familiar faces that won't be there is Tucsonan Steve Farley. For more than a decade, he represented Southern Arizona in the state House and Senate, After November's election, House Democrats are now just three seats shy of a majority. Farley says it's a new day at the state capitol. This is a hair's breadth away from a tie. It's it's 31-29, Republican control, but one Republican flips and you kill anything. That is huge. We haven't had that kind of a a close uh, division in the House since the 60s. Uh, so that's that's something we haven't seen before, and I'm I'm not sure that the current Republican leadership is handling it very well already, because they have uh, stuck with their um, their overloaded committee assignments, so that their committees are still um, uh, six to four in some cases, and it, it's it, it, not six to four; they're seven to three in some cases, and and. They, they're, they're still stacking the deck so that the Republican bills get through more easily. But once they do, they're going to run into a freight train on the floor. Uh, there's going to be a whole lot of bills killed on the floor or not even, or if they don't want to see them killed, they just won't bring them there. They're going to have to work with Democrats a lot more closely than they ever have, but there's no sign they're doing it yet. We'll see how long it takes for them to do that. Most things in the legislature, you and I know, and many people may not realize this, pass very easily with a big bipartisan vote. But there are that handful of things that always get hung up and and get ugly. What do you see as 
some of the sticking points for the legislature in this new season? Uh, well, there's going to be a lot of them. I mean, your, your ideological stuff, it isn't going to go anywhere. And that's a good thing for every Arizonan because the ideological stuff is, isn't the stuff that matters to most everyday people. What we really want to get through is the good schools, good roads, good public safety, good public health. Uh, all those things um, have become ideological, but hopefully they become less ideological now because those are the only ones that are going to pass. Uh, that's, that's really key. Uh, it, you, it only takes one vote to kill in the House. Uh, it takes two votes to pass, and that means that uh, if a Democratic bill gets two Republicans on board, um, then there could be a lot of Democratic bills passing, too. So they'll, they'll see some different priorities. I, I think one of the things we're going to be watching for that's already uh, being talked about now is this whole tax conformity issue. Um, not a lot of people pay attention to those numbers because they're finance, it's boring, all the rest of it. But uh, because of those massive Trump tax cuts in 2017, it had an effect with the states based on how it was structured that if we do full conformity with federal tax, and we have to do conformity and decide whether we're conforming or not to federal tax law every year so we all know how to fill out our taxes, uh, if we do full conformity this year as we usually do, that would mean potentially a $250 million windfall to the state, uh, which would be people at the higher end of the scale would pay more taxes. But they're also the ones who are getting more benefit from the Trump tax cuts. So it's not really a tax increase. It's just more money infused into the state. And we're going to need that because of the victory of Prop 126, which will cut $250 million a year from the renewal of Prop 301 that funds our public schools. So one easy way to fix that, now Prop 126 has kind of messed up our finances, is uh, we could have full conformity, and then the folks who can afford to pay a little bit more will pay a little bit more, but they'll still be getting a windfall from the Trump tax cuts. But of course, we're talking taxes, tax cuts, tax increases, anytime we say taxes, that's a big sticking point. It is, but the good thing about this is it isn't a tax increase. It's just leaving taxes the way they are. But because the federal tax form uh, eliminates a bunch of deductions, it has the effect of increasing revenues to the state without raising taxes, which is why there was actually a lot of support from even Republicans last year, but not enough to get it over. I actually pushed for that in as early as January of last year, and uh, I pushed again in, in June because that's a, a great way of funding public education without hurting anybody. We're talking with Steve Farley about the 2019 legislative session here in Arizona. Last legislative session, we ended with a, a, a sea of tens of thousands of red T-shirt clad teachers. Uh, that Red for Ed movement resulted in a pay raise, a stepped-in pay raise over a few years. Has the momentum for Red for Ed stopped? Oh, no. The, the, the teachers are still out there, and they are still paying attention. I, if that was one of the highlights of my entire 12-year career was that week when you had Tens of thousands of teachers dressed in red paying so close attention to everything we were doing. And I was giving them all the inside information. They were there packing the galleries, staying there all night, gasping when I talked about how we're giving away the taxes on four-inch pipes. Uh, it was a wonderful experience and a very educating one for these educators. Uh, they were so tuned in about what things were going on in the Capitol and how badly they were being managed that they promised themselves then they would stay engaged, and they have been. Uh, we really, I think the, the, the Red Fred movement now has got to switch to holding Doug Ducey's feet to the fire. Uh, only a 10% raise was approved uh, together with some increases and some other funding last year, and that was a huge step forward. It was $405 million in new money annually coming up. 
Um, and that's more than I've ever seen. So I voted for it. And that was a great thing. But now we have to keep the other steps in place, put in the other 10% raises for teachers. So we stop the, the teachers from fleeing Arizona, put in the other money to be able to fix our schools because their schools falling apart in different ways and make sure that we, we have the money to make up for the loss from Prop 126 when, uh, when 301 is renewed, our, our sales tax for, for public education in 2021, it's going to lose $250 million a year from that. So we have to make up for that money. Uh, and that's where teachers in the Red for Ed movement will be pushing. we got to give our teachers the respect they deserve for working under difficult conditions and, and doing the most important job that we have for our economy and our society. And uh, they're going to be on there on the front lines working to do that. They're going to be up at the Capitol watching again, and we have to have their backs. You were in the legislature for a long time, twelve years. That that's a that's a career for a lot of people. Uh, do you have any advice for those newly elected Democrats coming in, be it in the House or in the Senate, but especially in the House? Uh, you know, the number one thing is understand going in that you are just borrowing this title for a short while. You've not been elected because you are blessed to become the great leader. You, you got in this election because you're willing to work hard, because you did work hard, and because people decide you might do a good job representing them. But it's not because of who you are. It's because of, of who you represent. Always understand the people who elected you are the people who put you there, and they can take it away at any point in the future as well. So serve them. Serve them well. There will, there will be a lot of constituents coming to you for help, and you can help them. Because when you have that title, you can use that to do good in people's lives. Try to do that in all the bills you run. Try to do that in all the votes you do. Um, the proudest moment, I think, in my entire time in the legislature was when I was able to work together using all the skills I'd developed and experience I'd had, working across the aisle to, to expand Medicaid health care coverage to 400,000 people in poverty. That makes a real difference in people's lives. And a lot of people may not know your name, your title, or even that a legislature exists. But if you can help a, a, a five-year-old get health insurance the way we did with Kids Care, who has a chronic disease, you're doing something important. And it doesn't even matter if anybody else sees you do it. Just go do good things, regardless of whether or not you're, you're seen doing it. It sounds like you would give that same advice if a, a Republican freshman called you and said, Steve, you were there for a long time. Tell me what I need to know. Absolutely, because I've always believed that no matter how what policy disagreements I've ever had with my colleagues in the legislature, everyone's there for a good reason. They want to serve in some way. They, just, uh, they may disagree on how to serve, um, but they want to serve. So I think folks, uh, ultimately, if they think about your constituents, no matter where they're from, you're going to do good things. That was former Democratic State Senator Steve Farley. Earlier this month, he announced he's exploring a run for Tucson mayor. Local governments, like the city of Tucson and Pima County, are often directly affected by the decisions made by state lawmakers. For Pima County, an issue left on the table by the last legislature is a pressing local priority, road repair. Specifically, a half-cent increase in the sales tax to help further fund the Regional Transportation Authority, more commonly known as the RTA. Pima County Board of Supervisors Chair Richard Elias says road repair is an issue for every county in the state. It's particularly egregious here, and we've tried several efforts to try and, and deal with that issue. So looking at extending the RTA for another half cent, um, all of that, of course, would be contingent on um, the voters approving 
that half cent sales tax. So uh, this is not something that's just going to happen because the state legislature approves that. Somebody listening to this is going to say, wait a second, this is a Pima County issue that the Pima County voters have to approve. Why does the legislature care? Why does the legislature have to approve this if it's going to voters? Uh, ultimately, because the original legislation for the RTA tax came from the state legislature. And in the end, Pima County is actually a ward politic of the state of Arizona. All our power emanates from the Arizona Constitution and Arizona Revised Statutes. In the area of funding during the recession, the state shifted a lot of costs to counties, uh, something that has been very painful for many counties, Pima included. Have any of those costs started shifting back to the state at this point? Some have and some have not. Um, the big ones that we still face uh, are related to juvenile corrections, and that's about $1.7 million. And then about one point two for uh the Department of Administration related to uh, sales tax collection and distribution to local governments. This is not a sales tax that Pima County has, but rather the state shared revenue from state sales taxes. I know that's been an issue for a while, these cost shifts. Do you have any hope that this will be the year the legislature will take some more of those costs back? It's really hard to tell, but um, there's a different legislature. And uh, we're a lot closer in the in the House to parity with the Republicans, um, which have instituted all these cost shifts. And so there's a little bit of hope there. And and uh, I think financially we're all starting to do a little better. So we at least need to make sure that that issue is on the table for a good, healthy conversation. When it comes to funding this year, the, the Board of Supervisors earlier decided not to accept the federal Stone Garden funding for the Pima County Sheriff's Office. Now it seems there's a move in the legislature to force counties to accept state or federal grants. And I know the Board of Supervisors doesn't want to see that happen. Why? Well, it's very important that we, we retain that ability to look at grants and, and which we accept and which we don't, quite separate from the criminal justice grants. Um, we look at every single one of them because more and more there's, there's uh, large amounts due to matches for those kind of grants. And then um, you find yourself chasing money. And chasing money isn't always the healthiest way to affect an issue in your community. You have to be focused on what that issue is rather than trying to make a grant fit into what the local problem is. Our nonprofits have faced this for years. Government faces it now. We're talking with Richard Elias. He's the chair of the Pima County Board of Supervisors. The Pima County Board of Supervisors is also interested in some criminal justice reform uh, from the legislature specifically. What's the board looking for? Well, we're looking for some changes to try and help us deal with the behavioral health needs of our populations, taking a look at, at how we end up ruining a person's life for a mistake that they've made that is perhaps a bad one, um, but something that is related to drug use or that kind of thing or nonviolent, non-sex offenders. We need to rethink all of that so that we keep people being productive and adding to the tax base. You know, when we take people out of it completely and leave them in a situation where they're virtually unemployable for a good period of time, you know, we lose. We all lose in that together. But the real losers in that deal are the children of those folks. 
expanding home detention and electronic monitoring is just smart. People become better criminals when they're in the county jail. They're influenced by the bad behavior of the many criminals who are who are doing very short amount of time there in county jails. A big issue for us. Um, looking at at law enforcement and and when they engage somebody for, who's a drug user, these are not dealers. These are not people who are out there uh, trying to dispense drugs to populations or but people who misuse the drugs that they've already been prescribed or people who are hooked and addicted to drugs. Uh, it's really much smarter to start looking at the underlying mental health and behavioral health issues that those folks face and treating them for that rather than spending the 150 bucks a day that we spend while they're in jail. This all sounds expensive, but I'm guessing it's expensive on the front end, but the county would end up spending less money over time um, because you're not incarcerating people for longer periods. You're not seeing them come back through the door necessarily. It's just like a debit credit account. There's going to be costs and there's going to be savings. And so you have to do a cost effectiveness analysis to understand what that really looks like. And then there's the social costs attached to it, which we should not ignore. We can't afford to do that any longer. And um, I think the other thing is not tying our judges' hands in terms of the sentencing requirements that we have and taking a look at crimes that are not violent but that are, are serious and important for us to address, but do it in a smarter way. Water will, I'm sure, be a big issue this year as the Colorado River Basin states are working on the drought contingency plan. Arizona is struggling with that as you and I speak right now, but everybody is working on getting it, it fixed. Pima County is on the Central Arizona Project, so therefore Colorado River water, very important. Is there anything the county needs to see out of a water plan? Absolutely. That Colorado River water is important and how it's recharged into our aquifer. And what goes along with that is the effluent that we now produce from our wastewater plants, which is some of the best quality effluent in the entire United States. Of course, we spend a fortune doing it, and everybody's paying for it. But, and but by it's best quality, you mean cleanest. Yes, exactly. And, and, and that's absolutely critical. So looking at, at, at increasing the recharge credits from 50% to 95% is, is really important for the total water equation here in southern Arizona. And it's something that we've gotten good at and Tucson Water's gotten good at. And so we now need to make sure that we reap the benefits of that, especially in a time when we recognize that we should have recognized it long ago that, that water is probably our most important natural resource. All right. Well, thanks for sitting down with us and giving us a, a preview of what uh, Pima County needs from the legislature this year. Thank you, Christopher. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. That was Pima County Board of Supervisors Chair Richard Elias. And that's the buzz for this week. Do you have a show idea for us? Please let us know. Visit the Buzz website and click on the Submit Your Story button or contact us on Facebook. Ariana Brocious produced and edited the show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Andrea Kelly is the news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.